I want to uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, for coming, and uh, for the third for the third um, shear that we're doing on the Ramchal. Uh, what we're going to be focusing on is a little bit of a transition from Misil Yesharim and the Ramchal's more uh, more revealed Torah, or the Torah that is uh, that that would necessarily be associated with the Musser movement. And I wanted to start by quoting something from the Rav Nazir. The Rav Nazir here, Grace, they're right over here. The Rav Nazir was one of the main Talmidim of Rav Kook. And, uh, and he actually, in, in the book uh, that they put out uh, very recently called Ish Kiafli, which is like a really nice biography with all kinds of documents and reproductions of important documents. So they have, uh, his son mentions in the Hakdama, in the introduction, he mentions that his father uh, once remarked that he had the uh, that he had they possessed at least a part of the soul of the Ramchal. He saw himself uh, very much in his project as being a project of continuation of the Ramchal. So in uh, the Nazir's great book, uh, meaning his most important book called Kola Nivua, where the Nazir gives basically a systematic um, overview of the development of all of Jewish wisdom and especially. Uh, Chachmah Pnimit, Jewish philosophy, and as it developed through Kabbalah all the way, uh, all the way up to Rav Kook, and that's Nuat Atchiyah Hachadasha, the new uh, movement of Rav Kook and his Talmidim, including Harav Nazir. So he spends um, he spends a tremendous amount of time, probably more than any other individual figure, talking about the Ramchal. There's about uh, some twenty pages where he just focuses on the Ramchal. For example, you know, there's entire movements of Kabbalah that merit uh, only like one page or a few paragraphs. And he mentions the following. This isn't on your source sheets, but he says that there were three groups uh, that lived, uh, that, that were from the Jewish people in the last, uh, in the last uh, generation. I'm referring to the previous, uh, to the 19th, 18th, 17th centuries. And he says, first was the Tnuata Hasidut. There was Hasidus, which was established by Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Then he says there was the Musa movement. And the Musa movement was established by Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. And then there was also the Haskalah movement, Jewish Enlightenment and Wissenschaft, the Judentums, and, uh, and the beginnings of Jewish academic scholarship. And he said that all of these movements at different moments were somewhat iuniot, a little bit opposed in their goals and their aims to one another. Does he attach a name to the Haskalah movement? He does. Of course, the, Naz, the Harava Nizir absolutely does. He he uh, he quotes, for example. I mean, he quotes from uh, he quotes over here in the footnote. He refers to a book. He says is Die Moderne Eintwicht Lugenstrode in der Jüdischen Wissenschaft. He talks that he's very well versed in all of this literature. Anyway, the Nazi writes Tnuata Chasidut Chasidus Imsalat Sefer Klach Petzchei Chachma. So they took for themselves as one of their central works that they founded. And his estimation that they founded their movement upon was Klach Pesachachma, which we're going to get to next week, Mir Tzashem, which is the Ramchal, and we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight, which is the Ramchal's systematic presentation of the Torah of the Arizal, and really all of Kabbalah in toto. Shiesh Lomer Ba'askamas Baal Sefer Rav Yeva Migdolei HaChasidus Habesh. One of the Talmidim of the Magad of Mezrich, uh, Rav Yeva, uh, who, which is a safer I have downstairs. Uh, Rav Yeva uh, gave the Haskam, and he was the one that brought it to the attention of Magad of Mezrich, Sefer Klach Pesachachma, and he also was, uh, was the Baal HaShmua, the person that had the, uh, the tradition that the Magad of Mezrich talked about the Ramchal in these glowing terms as one of the foundations of Hasidic thought. So that is Hasidus. What about Musar? 
Tnuat HaMusar B'chugei Yeshivot Baroshah Sefer Misilat Yeshar And the most important Sefer of Musar We're going to talk a little bit tonight about the Musar movement as well And the founders of the Musar movement We have a lot to do in uh, 45 minutes But they adopted for themselves as their foundational book Work Misilat Yeshar Which we talked about last week Whose author was none other than the Ramchal And he says Barosh Safruta Skala Chadasha And with regards to Jewish enlightenment And the new, uh, the new kinds of Jewish literature so they adopted for themselves So they adopted for themselves some of the earliest, we quoted Bialik in the first year, some of the earliest iterations of, of new Hebrew literature, the Ramchal's plays and poems and his visions that he wrote, Le'isharim Tehila, Migdal Oz, Utumas Yesharim, also with the same names. Of course, in traditional thought, those works are not merely literary works, but they're also systematic uh, metaphors for Kabbalah and inner wisdom as well that the Ramchal is presenting to us. So the idea is, is that he sees the Ramchal in the Nazir's estimation, he sees the Ramchal as this sort of, uh, this sort of Ur figure, this, this foundational figure for three of the most important movements of Jewish thought in, in, in the previous generations in modernity and, and the immensity of the, Ram, of the Ramchal's contribution to Jewish thought, which we're only beginning now to really understand in the, in the previous centuries, God bless you, is, uh, is, 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 hard to, uh, is hard to understate. It's, uh, it, it's hard to overstate, rather, how foundational it is. And that's why I thought it was maybe apropos to start the Ramchal as a person, even though the Ramchal wrote uh, of works of logic, even though he wrote, uh, he, wrote, he wrote literary works as well, the Ramchal is a person that was, in a sense, intoxicated above all else by the, by the inner Torah, by Kabbalah. And I, I just, um, because Lagba Omer is this week and it's considered like the holiday of Kabbalah and we talked about it on Shabbos and, and, and I won't spend too much time on this, but I did want to quote you something really beautiful from uh, another figure that became intoxicated by Kabbalah and intoxicated in the best sense that it took over their soul and it took over their way of thought and they found themselves deeply intertwined with what the Kabbalah was teaching us. So in honor of Lag Vomer, I want to quote to you something that comes from Hillel Zeitlin, Shemikam Dhamma. We've mentioned him before. Hillel Zeitlin was one of the, uh, was one of the people who helped popularize and, and was very taken uh, due to his uh, position, his central position in the Yiddish literature uh, of the pre-war, of pre-Second World War. He had the ability to start to write uh, about Rav Kook, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, and also about the Zohar. And he writes about the Zohar, the following thing, and this is at the top of this uh, short interlude in honor of Lagba Omer. He writes, Hazor hi poema elokit. The Zohar is totally a divine poem. Shekula tiur chayei That the way it communicates this to us is through stories and descriptions of its hero, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. But really, this is saying the same thing. It's a tautology. Because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai himself is none other than a person who is kolkulo, completely tossed himself into divinity and into service of his creator. It's one fire, it's one, it's, it's one sense of, 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 a, of, a, of a burning desire for the, for, for the eternal, for God Almighty. A yearning. For the hidden of all hidden, that which underlies the reality, a desire to go ahead and to see what is beneath, what is beneath the veneer. 
of the lives that we leave, of, of the interactions that we, uh, that we have, and also the mitzvot that we perform in the Torah that we learn. That was Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon niftar v'yom tirasuhu yom hilula. Rabbi Shimon passed away, and as we mentioned on Shabbos, the day of his death in the Zohar is called yom hilula. And hilula in the Gemara means a wedding. And he says, what does that mean to call his day of death a hilula? And we talked about the secrets that Rabbi Shimon bar Yechai revealed on the day of his death to the Chavraya Kedisha. So Rav Zeitlin says, that his heart found itself cleaving to its creator with a love that didn't stop, with, a, with an all-consuming love. Uh, and in a very real sense, Rishimon made Benishika Sa'in Sof, that Rabbi Shimon died by touching the infinite, that when a person, when a finite being touches upon something that's infinite, so we become completely abnegated, we become completely obliterated in that, uh, in that eternal light. And, and I think in a sense we could say this about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, but we could also say this about the Ramchal, who in his short life uh, created a revolution in the understanding of the inner Torah. We're going to talk about the Ramchal's main contribution, especially when we talk about the Ramchal's Kabbalah next week, Ramchal's main contribution to the limit of Kabbalah was to take a very, uh, a very esoteric and symbolic system that the Arizal, uh, that the Arizal was mechadesh for us in the 16th century, and Ramchal went ahead and, and did the work of going ahead and rendering it in symbolic language and showing us how all of these Pertsufin and Spiros and Kabbalistic terms that are very difficult to understand and, and, and these, these deeply intricate systems are actually just a way of expressing darke hanhaga and darke hayichud, the way that God deals with us and the way that God interacts with us and what, what, we're, what we're doing in this world. That's, that's in a sense, right, we toss around the word Kabbalah, but that's in a sense really what all of Chachmas HaEmes or Torah HaChein or Kabbalah, whatever you want to call it, that's what it's all referring to. So even, even though this is also not on your sheets. Yeah, question. Was, was the Zohar revealed by Moshe when it- so, so the question, the question, of the authorship of the Zohar is a complicated question. Uh, it's actually, I don't have the, the safer right here, but Rav Zeitlin dedicates uh, quite a lot of time to talking about the revelation of the Zohar. The Nazir, for his own part, says that the Zohar is a Chachma Keduma that comes from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his Chevra Kedisha, his Chevraya Kedisha, which was revealed in the 15th, in the 15th century by Rabbi Moshe de Leon who was a Castilian rabbi, and he was the one, so in academic works, so they, they purported, initially they purported Quasholem, uh, that, that, uh, that the author of the Zohar was none other than Ramosha de Leon. Modern scholarship has, has heavily revised that position, and subsequent scholarship has basically called the Zohar's really a collection of something like 11 works in one book, it's like a library of sorts, is what Boaz Hus calls it. He's a contemporary scholar. The question of authorship of the Zohar is actually beyond the ken of our discussion. I'm happy maybe to do a series on the Zohar. Uh, it's a book I'm in love with very much. Um, but, but, but the traditional understanding is that the Zohar is revealed Torah from Sinai that comes directly from Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a hemshech, a continuation of nevuah. It's a distillation of the nevuah that was nostalgic prophecy that went away from the Jewish people with the destruction of the Second Temple, and that this mystical tradition has a trajectory throughout Jewish history, and it's, com- it's darkened, and it becomes occluded as uh, our persecutions and as our distance from the Bate Mikdash increases in history, but that we have figures like the Arizal, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Ramchal, I'd add the Baal Shem Tov and Rav Kook to that as well, who go ahead and give us these periodic 
these periodic uh, senses of arousal to understanding the Zohar and to understanding its secrets and co- trying to communicate to that, that to us. Uh, what's, what's amazing is that that's a nice segue into uh, the Ramchal. And the Ramchal, I think, the same thing that, that Rav Zeitlin is saying about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, this deep soul connection with Kabbalah and Zohar and, and living its teachings and, and embodying its teachings could be said about the Ramchal as well in his very short life. The Ramchal, you know, like we talked about something like 40 works that the Ramchal published after, that the Ramchal did, wasn't able to publish, but that he wrote in this um, explosion of mystical creativity after the revelation of his angelic interlocutor of the Magid, but uh, that warranted that the Ramchal exploded with, with revelations in Titor. We do have some of his works that have remained, but the Ramchal, one of his main Kabbalistic works is a uh, commentary on the Idra Zuta, which is a section, uh, the Idra Rabba rather, which is a section of the Zohar called Adir Bamaram. Uh, we'll touch upon it a little bit in the fifth year. Excuse me, God willing. But the Ramchal quotes from the, uh, and this is also not an issue, so I apologize, but there was so much that I wanted to say tonight. Uh, that the Ramchal writes in his introduction to Adir Bamarum, the very first lines, he quotes the Zohar that appears in Parshas Naso, and it appears on Daf Kuf Chavzai in Ahmed Beis in the Zohar. And we have Rabbi Shimon sitting together with his Chevrai Kedisha, and he says, Tanya, Rabbi Shimon says to his circle, he says that He says, until when are we going to sit? Basically, the translation that I saw from the Sulam, from Rav Ashlag, is when are we going to sit on the side like this? When are we only going to sit by this one column? Meaning to say, the Bala Sulam, Rav Yudalib Ashlag, tells us that what Rabbi Shun Baruchai is saying, we live in a world of chaos, in an olamatohu, in a world of fragmentation, in a world where things are not necessarily so clear, and the Ramchal is going to articulate this in much more overt terms that the way in which Hashem deals with us is very unclear and that we lead our lives and it feels for a spiritually attuned individual to be quite chaotic and we don't understand and we walk through a world without totally understanding it seems like the world is blasted into a million different fragments. So, so Rajvi is telling the Chavai Kedish, he's saying, he says, now it's time for us to cross over to the other side and I'm going to reveal secrets of a world where these things start to make sense, to tell you a little bit of an understanding. This is what the Nevi'im really did. The Nevi'im told us, you know, you know what makes the most sense? The Nevi'im only came to teach us how to repent, right? That's, why, that's how you bring a fragmented world and repentance in its largest understanding, right? A global sense of repentance, not just for a sin, but really everything, is that the Ramchal wanted to go ahead, uh, the, the, the Rashbi is saying, we ha- I'm going to reveal to you how all this chaos, all this tohu, all this primordial disruption actually has 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 a way of understanding it that that we could carve paths through all this and 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 that's basically the wisdom of the Zohar the wisdom of the Kabbalah and it's a term that's very fraught and it uh, scares away a lot of people or people scoff at it because of uh, understanding uh, is the language that we use sometimes is from the from the depth of the musag of the concepts. And also the shortcomings of the under of the of the person trying to understand. I include myself primarily in that. Um, but the Ramchal, the Ramchal saw in the sefer that we're going to discuss tonight, sefer Das Tfunos, The Ramchal saw his position, his his job in this book was to go ahead and to do just that. Was to go ahead and if we could say that sefer Das Tfunos, uh has a main aim. The main aim is to delineate and to articulate for us in the clearest way possible. What are Darke and Hagas Hashem with this world? 
How does Hashem run the world? Right? And, and that includes four chief categories that the Ramchal is going to explain in the work. Four chief categories. We have the concept of, God, of God's omniscience. We have the concept of reward and punishment. We have the concept of the Mashiach and also the concept of the resurrection of the dead. All of those are included in Maimonides' 13 Principles of Faith. But the Ramchal, as we see, saw, him, saw himself duty-bound to say, even though you might, you might say, I believe in these things or I know about them, Right, you don't necessarily un- we don't fully understand them, and 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 we'll, we'll jump into that. But that's that's going to be our discussion, the topic of discussion tonight. So we're going to turn the page to the other side, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about Sefer Das Tevunos. Sefer Das Tevunos was first published in Padua in 1734, or it was publicized, and it, its name was not originally Das Tevunos. That was a name that was given it to it later on, or was accrued later on. The initial name was called Mamar Havikuach, or the subtitle, a dialogue between the soul and the intellect. The first printing was in Warsaw in 1889. You could see, a, a, not the Editio Princeps, but a, but a very early edition, 1891. It was printed together with Mamar Hagiula, uh, which is an essay from the Ramchal, which is now printed as a separate work by Machona Ramchal uh, about redemption and the concepts of redemption specifically. Um, and there is also a parallel text which was uh, discovered later called Klalim Rishonim, which is a much more, uh, a, a basically an explication of the ideas in Datfunot using overtly Kabbalistic language. Um, the text that we're going to be using tonight is going to be Sefer Datfunot, this green edition which was published and edited by Rabbi Chaim Friedlander. Rabbi Chaim Friedlander was a Talmud of Rav Dessler, uh, who was basically uh, a Talmud of uh, his father, Ruven Dessler, studied. Later on, we'll see with Rav Simcha Zissel Ziv of Kelm, the, the altar of Kelm, uh, the Sabami Kelm, and these are most, some of the most important figures in the Musser movement. And Rav, uh, Rav Chaim Friedlander was also the Mashkiach of the Panovich Yeshiva and the Yeshiva of the Negev, and, uh, 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 an estimable figure. And he, uh, more than anything else, he, he, he published uh, works called Sifsei Chaim, which are extremely popular, uh, very clear, easy to understand presentations of Machshava, of Jewish thought, in the, with a Musser twist, with an ethical twist. But he also put out some of the best editions of the Ramchal's works that exist for us. He talks about in the Hakdama how they compared various different manuscripts. He says in this one that apparently they knew of one manuscript that was in the uh, State Library in Moscow, but they weren't able to access it until the fall of the Iron Curtain. Rechaim Freelander wasn't able to access this autographed manuscript of the Ramchal, but his son afterwards found that and they, and they basically took this edition where he had compared various previous manuscripts and they, and they produced probably the best possible edition of Das Tfunos with footnoting. We're going to see it later on. Um, but it's also printed together with Sefer HaKlalim as it was, I guess, meant to be, which is the overtly Kabbalistic explication of the ideas mentioned in Das Tfunos. Das Tfunos does not speak in Kabbalistic terms, much like Derech Hashem, another really important systematic presentation of Emunas Yisrael, of our faith and what it is that we believe in and, and what, what a Jew should know in order to serve Hashem. So, so Das Tfunos is presented like that. What makes Das Tfunos uh, sort of a closed Sefer and Rav Friedlander uh, addresses this in, it, in the beginning, he says that Das Tfunos is written like many of the Ramchal's other works. We mentioned the Masilos Yisharim's first edition was like this as well, or the first iteration of Masilos Yisharim is that it's printed as a dialogue, that it was written as a dialogue, which was very popular in the time. And it's a dialogue between the neshama and the seichel, the soul and the intellect, but it's also quite difficult to 
understand the work like that. We're used to things being presented chapter by chapter, idea based on top of an idea, and that doesn't really happen in this book, and it's, and it's, uh, it's cumbersome to How read everything. Das Tuna. So that's I was going to get to that. There is uh, the Feldheim translation, probably the most popular translation of Das Tunas. It's a green work. Um, so that translated, Rashaga Silverstein translated as the knowing heart. Now, it's beautiful and it communicates uh, the idea or the aim of it. The translation that I, like to, uh, that I like to go with is Rabbi Yaakov Feldman. We mentioned him in the past. He gave many series at Torah.org back in its heyday in 2008. Uh, on the Ramchal, he's an expert on the Ramchal, he lives in Muncie apparently, and, uh, and he has on his blog, which can be accessed, a full English presentation of pretty much all of the Ramchal's central works. Amazing stuff, and he, so he calls it very fascinating, it's a great question. What does is, what is he entitle it? He says, knowing the reasons which is, I think, again, not an idiomatic translation of dat vunot. Dat vunot, idiomatically, we could probably translate it as understanding, understanding wisdom, but that also doesn't do a job. Knowing the reasons, I think, is, uh, is, is very apropos, because what the Ramchal is trying to tell us is that a human being looks up at God and say, well, what's the reason for this? We ask God why, or we ask God, how could this be? So the Ramchal is trying to tell us, the way that God deals with us, that we should try as much as possible to know the reasons for things and know the reason that we're here, or know the reason that uh, tzaddikim, their lives might not necessarily be so easy, and that Rishayim, their lives seem to be okay, or know the reasons why a person receives reward for good deeds and punishment for Averot, or the reason that we believe that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. So knowing the reasons, I, I think, is a very, uh, a very profound way of communicating the central idea of the work. It's a great question. We're going to skip uh, part one just because of uh, time, but part one is very fascinating. There is a, a beautiful edition of the letters printed by the Ram, uh, sent by the Ramchal, and uh, people in his time printed by Machona Ramchal and Mordechai Shiriki, who heads it up. And uh, what I have here is the end of a letter of Rav Yeshaya Basan, which is the Rebbe of the Ramchal, to the Ramchal, which is printed in Igros Ramchal Uvnei Doro. And uh, it's important to mention that that the relationship between the Ramchal and his Rebbe, Rav Basan, was one that was uh, more appropriate to be called the relationship of a father to the son. The love that they had for each other was deep, and we also see the way they express each other in their letters is, uh, is quite direct. And, and Rav Basan is telling the Ramchal in this letter the work that he's talking about. Mamar Havikuach, he calls it. He says not to print it. He's not saying anything new. There's a huge, uh, there's a huge imbroglio surrounding the Ramchal at the time and his works. The rabbis of Venice and of Altuna are still rushing after the Ramchal, and they've already announced the cheirim, a ban on all of the Ramchal's works, esoteric and exoteric alike. So he says, why go ahead and print this? What are you adding? You're not adding anything new. He says, the Yashar Mikandia, who is a great Italian Kabbalist, who has already done this, and he says, look, he says in the bold, he says, he says, don't print this work. There's no purpose and there's no value in printing this work. It's very strong language of this Rebbe to his Talmud. He says, if you listen to me, God will be with you. 
If you don't, if you're not inclined to listen to my advice, my words to you over here, he says, and this goes ahead and it, and it stokes the flames of this controversy surrounding your work. He says, Here's my great declaration. I warned you and I saved myself. I removed myself from this. That's what he writes, like a father to son. He says, I'm telling you, don't do this. Don't do this. It's the middle. Right? The Ramchal, we have to remember, was forsworn to not produce any works of Kabbalah. Now, it's quite clear to anybody that understands what's going on in Das Tfunos, that even though he doesn't use Lurianic language or overtly, explicitly Kabbalistic language, that the whole book is a work of Kabbalah. That the whole book is an explanation of Kabbalah with simple, understandable language. Then afterwards, so the letter is, remains unsigned. And then afterwards, he goes ahead and he gives Rishus. He says, look, I've read this book. And he says, he says even though I've said what I said, you have Rishus to print it. He says, you still have permission to go ahead and to print it. There is a little bit of discussion whether or not this is referring to a different Ma'amar Vikuach of the Ramchal, which is the Ramchal is another safer Vikuach between a Choker Umekubal, a philosopher and, uh, and a Kabbalist. Um, according to Rav Shriki, actually, he thinks that, the, that what, the, what Rav Basan is referring to is not Das Tfunos, Mamar Avikuach, Bein Halev HaSeichel, but the Mamar Avikuach, it's an esoteric point, but, uh, but what lies behind that is that it's possible that Rav Basan never saw Das Tfunos, and in fact, the manuscript of the Ramchal was Nisgalga, went from hand to hand until eventually Rav Shlomo Luria was able to print it in 1889 in Warsaw. Hi. Is a Kabbalist not a philosopher? So, so that's, a, that's another really good question. Uh, definitely uh, the way that the, the Nazir calls the Ramchal, and I think the way the Ramchal would call himself is Chokir Mekubla. I think what's amazing, what I, what I wanted to say later, is that what's, what I think my reading of Das Tfunos and my reading also of, of Mamar Avikuach being a Chokir Mekubla is that the Ramchal is only able to present these positions, to present these people as if he's talking, right, as if he's expressing himself well, because I think that the Ramchal had all this within him as well. And the Nazir certainly saw himself as a Chokir Mekubal as well. That's how his son calls his father. He says, Avi Avi Adoni Mori Virabi calls him Chokir Mekubal that there are certain individuals that are able to uh, encompass both of these, right? You know, like uh, you know, like Rav Kook talks about himself. Rav Kook talks about himself in one of these famous lines. You know, Rav Kook says basically, like uh, I forgot who it is, uh, who says Walt Whitman. I contain, I am vast. I contain multitudes. Right? A certain individual, when you live on a certain level, you can embody both, uh, both this deep sense of, of chakira, of philosophical understanding, logical understanding the world, the tzad haseichel, and you could also embody the mystical side, the, the side that doesn't really lend itself to clear, uh, to clear words, to clear expression, and to systematic expression, that a person can inhabit both of those. I think the Ramchal had both those sides in him. The Ramchal was a great logician. The Ramchal produced a derech tevunos, a great works on, uh, on understanding Gemara and how to write properly and how to present ideas properly, the Ramchal certainly had that. And then the Ramchal was capable of writing in, in Adir Bamarom, was capable of writing Adas Tfunos, was capable of writing a Klach Pesche So I think the appellation Chokir Mekubal is embodied both, uh, both of those within the Ramchal. And there are unique individuals throughout history as well that have been able to go ahead and, and have both of these concepts within them as well. So moving on to what, what the purpose of the book is as well, uh, Rav Friedlander points out this pasuk that, that appears in Sefer Divrei Hayamim uh, Aleph Perek Chavches Pasuk Tes and uh, Ve'ata Shlomo Bini 
So this is, uh, it's significant that we're talking about Shlomo, who's the Chacham, Nikol Adam, the wisest of men. So, so David tells Shlomo, know the God of your father and serve him. Believe Shalim, with a whole heart and a, and a soul that's filled with desire. God seeks out and understands what's hidden in the Matspune Libam of all those who seek him out. And God understands all the inner workings of our soul. If you seek God out, you shall find. And if you leave God behind, then God will leave you behind. And God will leave you to your own devices. There's no greater punishment than being cut off from a connection with the divine. And uh, that even the wisest of all, of all men who could know everything, every philosophical argument in the Sichos right? The conversations of the animal kingdom could be known, but the most important use of Chachma is to try and understand what's our purpose here? What's all this Chachma for? Shlomo Amelch, uh, one, could, one could argue that Shlomo Amelch got this at the end of his life when he said that it's all Hevel Havalim, right? That he writes that it's all, you know, in Kohelis, that all of this, you know, Ki Chachma, right? The wisdom, all this wisdom, what does it do? What does it give us? Right? The point of it is, as the rabbis appended at the end of Sefer Kualos, is, is, is to understand all of our purpose is to serve God, walk humbly in His ways, and that's, that's what we're here for. So, so this knowledge, means that intrinsic and part of proper service of God is the importance of understanding God, is the importance of understanding and studying it. And one might ask, one might ask, well, God is infinite, we are finite creatures, how could we even embark on such a, on such a quest? It seems, uh, it seems maybe futile at best. It seems like something we're never going to truly understand. And the Ramchal, to be sure, begins Sefer Das Tfunos by telling us certain things are off the table, right? In a work that tries as best as possible to explicate the ways that God deals with us and runs the world, there are certain things that we're never going to be able to understand, that even Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Yirmiyahu Navi begged God to, right? Why is it that the way of the wicked is so, is so easy? There's certain ways, there's certain things that we can't truly understand. Uh, but I want to argue that that uh, and and this I base on on on, uh, on source number source number four, which we're not going to get to tonight. From Yaakov Moshe Chalap, another important Talmud of Rav Cook. You could see, I guess, the prism through which I approach the Ramchal's work is really through uh, is really through the Talmidim of Rav Cook and, and Rav Cook himself. But Rav Chalap says, "Yeah, you're right. There are certain things." This is printed in Sefer Razili, uh, which is a new, uh, one of the newest editions of uh, Rav Charlap's works, Volume 18, that comes out through Charlap's personal journals. Rav Charlap says, "Stand up for a second. Rav Charlap, I've been sitting all day. Rav Charlap says that you're right that there are certain levels that are going to be impossible to understand. There are certain things that lie beyond the ken of our understanding. But he says, It's not up to you to go ahead and to finish that work. It's your job to go ahead and to embark on the process of trying to understand. And what you try and what you realize when you try is that once you understand one level, so then you're able to go ahead and you can orient yourself towards the next level of understanding in a different way. Once I understand the basic thing, so that I could understand something more immediate and the infinite levels in between that. That even if the tachlis, even if the final questions are, are ultimately beyond our abilities, beyond our cognitive faculties, only to be understood in the world of, of neshamas after we pass on from this world, 
That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we stop ourselves from understanding. And of course, the Torah revealed to us certain things about how God creates the world. The Torah gave us information about how God runs the world because it's a, we're duty bound to understand that. Even if that means that at the end of the day, right, the way we want to understand things is we want to we want to get everything, right? That I want to, If somebody's telling me uh, is t- somebody's telling me something about history or something about poli- right, I want to understand everything about it, and, and that information is accessible. When it comes to Jewish mysticism and Machshavas Yisrael and Jewish thought, we understand one of, the, one of the basic fundamental guiding principles is that there's going to be stuff that we can't understand. That at the end of the day, that we're not going to have a full understanding. So some people might say, well, why embark on understanding at all? Rav Chalab seems to intimate to us that maybe it's not just about the understanding, but the experience of being exposed to this knowledge and wisdom. The process of being exposed to that experience is itself something that illuminates and something that allows us to lead our lives better. So if you look in the next source, um, if you look at the next source, so he says that uh, which we're going to talk about. So I want to I want to actually read this. I'm I'm being conscious of the time. This is now uh, this room doesn't have a have a clock. Oh, this room does have. This is our uh, this is our Sunday shear room. This is where we uh, this is where we learn on Sunday. So right, is this the room? Yeah, yeah. This is open. Right, so I'm, I'm having trouble orienting myself, but uh, but the, but but let's read from Klach. This is from the very beginning of Klach. Klach is Kuflam has 138 openings of wisdom, which, as we mentioned before, is Ramchal's most systematic presentation of Luriana Kabbalah, rendered in this symbolic form in, in what might be termed this usable form. I just want to put in parentheses that that itself is a tremendous debate amongst Kabbalists whether or not the re system, the concepts of Sfirot, the concepts of Partsufim, the concepts of, uh, uh, of how they orient themselves and how they interact with themselves, and, and uh, what, is, what do terms like Shvirata Kalim, the, the, the shattering of the vessels, uh, what do all these things mean? So the Ramchal rendered it symbolically. Uh, the Ramchal said that all these ideas from, uh, from, from the Ari can actually be, you know, they, they can be talked about in ways that are more easily, readily understandable, that they're merely symbols. Not merely, well, the way other people understood it is that, is that how dare you say that they're merely symbols, that the symbols themselves uh, can be understood literally, that they have value, that they exist in a certain sense. That the concepts of Igulim and Yosher and, and, and all these different terms that appear in the Kabbalah Sari, which I don't know too much about. So all these things ha- have an actual existence. And they saw the Ramchal, and maybe why he was sort of written out of certain streams of Kabbalah, they saw the Ramchal as doing damage to that by going ahead and rendering it in a more, uh, one might say, more philosophical uh, way, in a more, uh, in a more eventually in Hasidus, a more psychologized vein, a way that's more readily understandable to us in the way that we act with the world. In fact, in the Haskama uh, to the Machon Ramchal edition of Das Tfunos, Sir Sraid the Blitzki, Zechert Tzadik Levrach, a great Kabbalist who passed away, I believe, two, three years ago in Yerushalayim, one of the Rosh Yeshiva, Yeshiva Shara Shamayim. So he writes, he says that Ramchal was great and everything like that. He says, but we have to understand that which the other Mekubalim said about him and the way that he rendered the Ari's ideas symbolically. So that itself is actually a matter of great debate in Kabbalah as well. Again, something that's uh, beyond the purview of this discussion. I know you want to. You have time. You're only a little bit of time. Correct. But if I could take you back a frame, and if it's too extensive an answer, so sure, fine. sure, absolutely. So we have many mitzvot in the Torah. Should love God. You should study Torah. It should be close to your heart. It shouldn't be far away. Wherever. Why do we need David to tell Shlomo, Da es Elokei Avicha? 
why isn't it there directly if it's so such an important concept? Well, I, I, if I'm understanding your, correct, uh, your question the proper way, right? So, of course, we study Torah. There's a difference between there's a difference between simply being aware of something, right? I could be aware that God, um, I could be aware, for example, that God commands me to do something, and I could do it. And, and I do it because I know that this is true. Like, you know, I could tell my child to go ahead and to take out the trash, for example. I, I can't do that. You can't pick up the trash. But, but, uh, but I, you know, you could say to a child, you could instruct them to do something. Or I could say to a student, um, you know, I'm going to be taking away your phone. They know that I'm taking away their phone. The, the da over here it, it represents something a little bit deeper. And, and indeed, in the Torah, the, the word da, at least in its first appearance in Torah, which is significant, the word da indicates an intimate knowledge, a deeper knowledge. In this sense, I believe that da means that you don't just go ahead and take out the garbage, but I actually understand why my, why my father would tell me to do this. I would understand uh, what... what, what, what what, what the purpose of the education and the chore is, and you know, how I'm also cleaning the house, meaning the da'as elokeh it doesn't just refer over here to superficial. Of course, Shlomo HaMelech knew, uh, knew the, the mitzvahs, he also, but this is maybe saying that the reasons, the understandings behind it, the underpinnings, the, 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 the whole system, the forest for the trees, right, to be able to see that as well. Too often our understanding and our impressions of Yiddishkeit, I believe, are seeing trees. We see pratim, we see myriad details, we see myriad commandments and little things we have to do and piled upon and, every, and it seems every new week there's a new thing we have to know and we have to keep and there's a new knetsa to how we were doing something previously. Uh, this does the lokeh was is go straight to the source. Understand not just the commandments but the commander. And, and why we keep the commandments. So it's a much more, it's a much more fundamental understanding. Can we see it experientially? Can we see the, the das in the, in, the, in, the, in the smile, first smile of a baby? Absolutely. I would say, I would say, look, this is already a much bigger concept. I think when you really get it, you know, it's a shame I didn't bring it up, but, the, but there's this beautiful line there's this beautiful line from uh, from Zeitlin. See what you did. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll try my best to quote it. Rav Zeitlin in his Mafteach Lesefra Zohar. Uh, I, I tweeted. I said I'm gonna be framing this, and, and I and I already I'm like I'm having like a sofa write it, and I'm gonna hang it up in my house because it's such a beautiful line. In his in his in his presentation of the Zohar, he says that uh, one of the things that a person who studies Zohar learns to do is that you don't look at yourself as a machine that's just there to fulfill mitzvahs, but that you look at yourself every single day and you say, have I, d-, when at the end of the day, my cheshben, my accounting for the day, have I done good in this world or have I not done good in this world? Have I experienced God's world in its fullness and its beauty or have I negated God's world in its fullness and its beauty? Meaning, to speak directly to your question now, a true understanding of the reasons, a true understanding of the underpinnings allows us to go ahead and embrace our reality more fully. To not use the mitzvot as an escape hatch, to not use the Torah as an escape hatch, but to use the Torah as a prism through which we experience reality. That, uh, you know, so Kabbalists and Kabbalistic thought is able to go ahead, it's a rubric sometimes. We could understand so many things like, uh, you know, the most basic understanding 
this is too much now, but the most basic understanding of the first things about Kabbalah that I heard from Ravari Heller, who was a Rebbe of mine in Yeshiva Rakot, when we were learning Sefer Tanya. So he talked to us about the concepts in Kabbalah of Chachma and Bina. Right? Chachma is rendered in certain understandings as a spark, and Bina is the expansion of that spark. Chachma is that flash of inspiration, Bina is the expansion of that flash of inspiration. He said the perfect mashal for this, the perfect metaphor for this, is the love between a, is the love between a husband and a wife, a, the true love between two partners that in the sense that, the, that, that there's, this, there's this spark and then the cleaving of that spark that it's allowed to expand uh, even more explicitly, more graphically it's in the, in the creative act in the procreative act that the Chachma is representative of the male, the male side in the act of procreation the bean is the development of the male side of that seed and, and the nurturing and allowing that to become something greater so all of a sudden something very deep and fundamental about our human experience is now rendered in terms and rendered through a system that goes ahead and gives it terminology and gives it a broader understanding that now could be related to almost anything. When I speak out an idea and a student of mine goes ahead and says, oh, that reminds me of this, and they expand the idea and there's the, 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 the spark of inspiration becomes something greater. So that's also another expression. And, this, and a baby's smile could, be, could find its way into the uh, great art. You know, uh, you know, you go and you, and you encounter a, a, a dark Rothko from, the, from, from, from his late period. And, and, you're, and you're blown away. Or you, or you hear, you know, uh, you hear Leonard Bernstein conduct Le Hayden's 88th Symphony and become overcome with emotions so that he can't even conduct it anymore with his baton. All of these become spiritual experiences because we have a framework to go ahead and to understand our world and to go ahead to a mountaintop. All of these can be rendered like that. That was, uh, you were right, that uh, there's a longer answer to that, but absolutely. That's, that's this da. That's this, that's this no. It's like when you get it. Yeah. I, I find it interesting you're taking it in such a profound way. The same situation, if I'm right about the context here, yeah. it's the same thing in the Haftar and Lachim. David says, and should be like that. The very next Pasuk is, kill this one, kill this one, you know what to do, this one, so on. He tries to say, be good, and use your brain, mm-hmm. and then kill the following people. So it's... Uh, it's, uh, right, it seems something morally problematic coming afterwards. Yeah, well, he's trying to say, be good, but don't forget to do the following. Yeah. Um, if you forget the second half, just find, find the profundity of this. So look, uh, it's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer. I could, yes. I could kvetch out an answer, but I'm not sure if I have the right answer. Um, he says it before he gives what he wants to say. So good. Cor- correct, correct. And, 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 and yeah, that's... I don't know if I have I don't know if I have a good answer at the moment. I would have to think about it. Uh, be that as it may, we are we are indeed uh, we have plenty of time. We could continue this next week maybe as well. But I want to go ahead and uh, and read what this all means for the Ramchal. How does the Ramchal understand it? And maybe uh, Psicha. Are we okay? Yeah. Yeah, you're okay. Okay. So he says he says in in the Klach. So he writes in the very beginning of the Klach. So the Ramchal writes like this. Really? Yes. It, we're on source three, uh, page eleven at the top. Yisod ha'emunav ikar ha'chachma hi yichudo ha'elyon yisparach shemo. The foundation, and that's also an acronym of God's name over here, which also appears in Mesilos Yisharim. Yisod ha'chasidus v'shoresh ha'avoda ha'temima. So again, the Ramchal begins and has this work with an acronym of, God, of the Tetragrammaton of God's four-letter name, Yodke Vavke. Yisoda the foundation of our faith, the foundation of faith, the Ikra Chachma, and the essence of wisdom. 
is God's oneness and God's absolute unity. Therefore, that's what we must embark on explaining first and foremost. That's the first thing we have to go ahead and touch upon. All of Kabbalah is nothing more than an explanation or the wisdom of the truth of our faith, of the truth of faith. To understand everything that has been created and its place, even the smallest blade of grass and that which is done in the world and why that grass gets mowed. All of that, or why that grass turns into a weed. All of this is part of understanding why God, why and how God deals with the world. And how it appears in our world from the, from how it appears in the world, what we would call the Seder Heshtalsulus, the chain of devolution in which it comes into our world from Ratzana Elyon, from the divine will, which is inscrutable, which cannot be understood. And how all this is conducted and, and, and brought about with, with complete wisdom from God Almighty in the proper way. You know, when we talk about, we say trite things sometimes, like, like it has, the, right, this, it must happen for a reason. Things that, that, that people have become shagr befiv in Yisrael Am Kadosh, the holy Jewish people, you know nothing of this. But we say everything happens for a reason. God runs the world. These kind of statements. So, it, it, so I mentioned Sefer Atanya. Sefer Atanya has a, has a core section called Shara Yichud Ve'amuna, which basically one of the foundational aspects of, of the teachings over there of Shneir Zalmiyali, of Miliadis, that this is indeed a continual process. They didn't stop. That God's world is always to be found in the heavens, constantly reifying and, give, and, and, and revivifying, constantly giving life to this process. He says, everything goes ahead, the great machine, the great cogs of, of existence's machinery are, are cranked by God, so to speak. He says, And it's all, it's all towards a purpose, a great purpose at the end. Rav Feldman says that the Ramchal's uh, purpose in the book Das Tvunos is to, is to show us the yichud of Hashem, the great unity of all things within Hashem. And, 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 and that Hashem is to be found in all things, that all things are a unity, that it's not chaotic. I think the way that you could express that and the way Rafriedlander expresses it is that it's an haga, that this is how God deals with the world. And once I understand how God deals with the world the best that I can, you know, like, like, like Rav Chalap commands us to and tells us we should. So once I understand that, then I reveal that there is a unity in this chaos. There is a symphony in, in the cacophony. That there is something underlying all this, a thread that goes through it, that gives meaning, gives sense, gives understanding to the world, which is a deeply comforting thing, by the way. Right? It's a deep balm to, peop- uh, to people that find themselves confused. And that it all has a purpose, a tachlis. That everything does move towards that inexorable march towards the messianic, uh, time towards when everything everything will know what created it everything will understand the creator everything will be able to say that God Almighty so that's that's messianic right? and, uh, so in the Ramchal's estimation the more we learn about the more we understand this we actually can accelerate that process 
by understanding God's Hanhaga, the way God deals with worlds, we accelerate the process of revealing God's unity, that messianic unity. So we're just going to finish this, and, and we'll continue with this next week. Nobody's forcing us to go ahead and to, uh, to accomplish everything, and I know it's already starting to get late. I sa- he says in the full underlined section over here, the deep understanding of the details of this and understanding of God's yichud is, is, is simply just the understanding of Darkei Hanhaga. So yichud, unity of God and understanding Darkei Hanhaga, the way God runs the world, are synonymous. He says over here, Nimsa harishon So therefore, the foundational, the, the first principle of all the wisdom of Kabbalah is, to everything we see in this world, the baby smile too. Whether it's something that already exists or something that's, that's in front of us right now or, or events that happen as time progresses. For all of this, there is one creator, there is one primary mover, if you want to use a philosophical language, that moves this all along. Uh, that runs all this, that created all this, that makes all this work. And when we study Kabbalah, when we study these works, like Das Tavunos, which we're going to call, even though it's not strictly a Kabbalistic safer, it is speaking about Kabbalistic ideas, is just merely to express this concept. I say merely, it's really Dvar Ma'om De Beru and Shal Olam. In Kain Zeu That's what we have to explain first. And for sure, that all of this is the foundation, uh, the reason for the creation of the world. Commotion is by as we shall explain, God willing. And by understanding this, we will understand the purpose of creation. You said that what it's based on. Therefore, that is what is first and foremost incumbent upon us to explain. And you know what the mere 